All right, well, notice Paul says this. He says, the things which happened to me. He's, he's calling the Philippian church to reflect upon the circumstances that Paul is facing. Now, they knew these circumstances very well because the Philippians and Paul had a relationship that had lasted for several years. Earlier, this is recorded in Acts chapter 16, but Paul and a small team of believers made their way to the area of Philippi. It's it's northern Greece in a region known as Macedon. And Paul and his team went into Philippi and they brought the gospel with them and they shared the message of salvation and a handful of people put faith in Christ. Now, Paul departed, but these believers began to gather and, and really a healthy and very effective church grew in the city of Philippi. By the time Paul wrote this letter, a handful of years later, we read in verse one about how the church had saints. That is a general term used to speak of believers. So the church is filled with believers, and it had bishops. That's a term that speaks of the leadership of the church. And then it had deacons, and that speaks of the people that were doing the hands and, and feet ministry in order for the church to happen. So this is a a substantial church there in the city of Philippi. We also find that this church was not just focused on reaching their own community for the kingdom, but they were also sort of kingdom-minded or globally-minded because they're one of the few churches that actually supported Paul in his missionary endeavors. So they placed value not just on what God was doing in their local church and their community, but they placed value on what God wanted to do in the world around them. And and they were very familiar with Paul. And so Paul takes what they already know about him, the things that are happening to him, and he wants to use those things as like a teaching lesson for the church. So what I want to do is in the front end of our study is I want to take a few minutes to to focus on that phrase, the things that happened to me, and I want us to reflect on what those were. That's going to take us back a couple years earlier than the writing of Philippi or Philippians. Paul was finishing up his third missionary journey. He'd been over in, for you guys, it's over here. He'd been in the area of Greece, and he has this desire to make his way all the way back to the city of Jerusalem in order to preach the gospel to his own countrymen. Paul had had great success in bringing the gospel in the Roman world. He'd he'd, uh, preached the gospel to countless thousands. Many had come to faith in Christ. Churches had started all over the Roman Empire. And yet, Paul had a much smaller impact on his own nation, his own people. And he had a heart for them. He wrote to the Romans, he said, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel that they would be saved. So he just had such a heart for them. And so he decided what he wanted to do was leave this missionary endeavor out in the world and make his way back to Jerusalem. Now, Paul desired to make it to Jerusalem during the time of the Feast of Pentecost, Pentecost was one of three of the annual pilgrim feasts where Jews from all over the nation of Israel and really all over the world would congregate together in Jerusalem to celebrate. And that would give Paul a great opportunity to preach the gospel. So Paul began to make his way from Greece back to Jerusalem. Travel in the ancient world was much more difficult than it even is today. 
and um, it would require many weeks and multiple stops along the way to get there. So what Paul did is he took advantage of each place that they stopped. When, they, when, the, when the ship stopped in a certain area, Paul would go into that, uh, into that town or city and he would gather together with believers and he would use it as an opportunity to instruct them. His first stop was in a place called Miletus. And Miletus is in Western Turkey and it was a, a place where he invited the leadership of the church of Ephesus to come for like a pastor's and leader's conference. And so they sat with Paul, and Paul instructed them. It's recorded in Acts chapter 20. And among other things, Paul had this to say to them. He said, I am going bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. So who did he believe was leading him to Jerusalem? Let's ask it again in case you missed the question. (laughs) Who did he believe was leading him to Jerusalem? The Spirit of God, right? He's, he, I'm sensing this is God speaking to me to go to Jerusalem. He says, and the Spirit of God testifies to me in every city. So every city I go to when I'm praying, are you sure this is a good idea, Lord? God speaks to me and says, chains and tribulations await you in Jerusalem. So he says, I'm pretty sure God wants me to go to Jerusalem. And when I get there, chains and tribulations await me. Now, are chains and tribulations good words? Like if you're like, when you woke up this morning, you go, you know what I hope for today? So I hope church is short, and then afterwards, we go to lunch, and then chains and tribulations await us. Okay, that's not what we look forward to. This is, these are difficult things. But, so God's speaking to him. I know where I'm headed. But Paul went on to say this. He said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish that which God has, has given to me, and that is the preaching of the gospel of the grace of God. So he tells them, I know what I'm getting myself into. Well, he leaves Miletus, and they continue to travel east until they come to Syria. Syria is north of Israel. And in Syria, they start heading then down south, and they stop at a place called Tyre. And there in Tyre, he gathers again with a group of believers. This time, Luke, the writer of Acts, does not record Paul's message to the church, but rather the church's message to Paul. And what they say to him is that they warn him through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. In other words, they know chains and tribulations are waiting Paul, so they say to Paul, Paul, you really shouldn't go there. Well, Paul leaves Tyre, he keeps going south, he crosses the border into Israel, and he goes to a place called Caesarea. And there in Caesarea, once again, gathers with some believers. And in, in this case, there's a guy, he's a, he's a prophet, and he'd come to Caesarea from Jerusalem. So he's visiting the church as well. His name is Agabus, which is just straight up a great name, okay? If I had to do it over again, one of my kids would be named Agabus, just for fun. And But the Agabus gets up during the middle of this meeting and he walks over to the coat rack and he takes Paul's belt off of Paul's coat and he goes back and he sits down and he ties up his own hands and his own feet. Okay, so just get that visual in your mind. You're in a Bible study and maybe it's during prayer time or worship, you start hearing some or sensing some motion and you look over and some guy in the church is hog tying himself. And you're, you look to your wife and you say, we need to find a new church. <laughs> so 
So this guy then speaks and he says, thus says the Lord, this is what's going to happen to the person who owns this belt if he goes to Jerusalem. Your chains and tribulations await you. And Paul responds and he says, what are you guys doing? You're weeping, you're breaking my heart. Don't you know that I'm willing to not only be arrested, but to die for for the cause of Christ? And Luke writes, when we could not persuade him, we just concluded it must be the Lord. (laughs) They just gave up. But I think it's interesting, and we're gonna gonna pause here for just a moment. Um, I think it's interesting that the same information is given to two different groups of people. Paul and whoever happened to be traveling with him and then the churches that he stopped along the way. They have the same information. Chains and tribulations are awaiting you in Jerusalem. But they draw two entirely different conclusions. The, the, the churches seem to draw the conclusion that, that if there's difficulty in front of you, it must not be the Lord. There, there's no way God would be calling you into something where you would have suffering and pain and anguish and difficulty. That must not be God. And then Paul draws an entirely different conclusion, doesn't he? Paul's conclusion is, those are just the challenges that I have to endure if I'm going to accomplish what God has called me to accomplish. And so Paul pushes through. And I think it's important for us to recognize difficulty, hardship, suffering are not necessarily evidences that we are outside of what God wants us to do. In many cases, they're just what come with doing what God has called us to do. Well, Paul leaves Tyre and, or Caesarea, sorry, and he keeps going south and he makes his way to Jerusalem. When he finally arrives in Jerusalem, he takes a few days to rest and then he makes his way to the Temple Mount and he enters onto the Temple Mount to worship the Lord. Remember earlier in the book of Acts, the church had actually gathered on the steps that led up to the temple. That was their, out, that was their gathering place for the church. So Paul makes his way there. He's in the outer courtyard and then he makes his way into the first of the of the uh, Jewish courts of the temple. Now, when he enters in that area, someone makes a false accusation. Quick pause, what kind of accusation? A false, so it's not true. They accuse Paul of bringing a Gentile with him into the Jewish courts of the temple. It's not true, but when that happens, all heck breaks out. And they, a, the group of people attack Paul and they begin to beat on him. Now, the, the social and political environment at that time in Israel was extremely tense. And the Romans were very quick to respond to any sort of activity, riotous, riotous activity. So they sent soldiers onto the Temple Mount. They break up this fight and they arrest Paul, which is very interesting. Paul gets jumped. Paul gets beat up, Paul gets arrested. And they take Paul and they incarcerate him. And they actually ship him from Jerusalem back up to Caesarea, it's the Roman capital of Israel. And there, Paul is incarcerated. He's left in prison for two years. His civil rights have been taken away from him. He's been, he's been unjustly arrested and uh, he's not convicted, he's just left there. And his case is completely ignored. After two years, Paul uh, takes advantage of a privilege that he has. Um, 
side issue. We all have privilege. We should use our privilege for the kingdom. And he uses his to appeal to Caesar. And so that puts in motion a process of getting Paul from Caesarea all the way to Rome. So soldiers take him, they acquire a vessel, and they begin to make this sail. The Mediterranean, then across the Aegean, and all the way up to Rome. The problem is they got started late in the season. And so as the climate changes, a storm arises. The the Bible calls it a Euroclidon. It'd be much like what we experience in Florida. We, We are accused in Florida of not having seasons. That's not true. We have regular season and hurricane season, okay? We even have, we even, we even decorate. We board up our windows and, uh, you know, it's like it's a wonderful, beautiful time in, in Florida. But this, this intense storm hits these guys as they're traveling and the storm is so great that they, it looks like it does out here right now, okay? You can't see the sun because there isn't one and, and they can no longer navigate. They're being tossed about. They have no idea where they are. This goes on for days. Finally, the ship hits a reef and the ship is being torn apart by the waves beating down on it and all of the passengers and crew of this ship jump overboard in the midst of a storm and have to swim their way onto this beach through the reef. When they arrive on the beach, they're met by the, the inhabitants of this island who build them a fire. Bible doesn't say this, but it's likely people went to their homes, brought warm clothing and blankets for all these wet uh, passengers and crew, and they're standing around the fire. Well, their fire, like every fire, starts to burn out. So Paul takes it upon himself to go get firewood. He reaches in to get firewood, and a poisonous snake bites him and is latched onto his arm. I have to think at this point, like, seriously, Lord? Like, is this, like are you serious? Like, what next? So he shakes the snake off into, into the fire. The locals think he must be a really bad criminal because he survived the ocean, and now a poisonous snake bites him. Then he doesn't die, so they think he's a god. And, you know, so anyway, time goes on. He's on this island for several months. They have to wait for the season to change. And they finally acquire another vessel, make their way to Rome. When he arrives in Rome, he doesn't get to go have an audience with Caesar. Instead, he gets locked up in like a, like a house arrest, chained to guards for two years before he finally gets to arrive before Caesar. Four years this endeavor goes on. I want you to take a look with me at verse 12 again. I want you to know, brethren, that the things that have happened to me. Does that phrase mean something different to you now than it did a few minutes ago? That's a loaded phrase, isn't it? The things that have happened to me, great difficulties that Paul had to endure. Now, I want to push pause for a moment, and I want you just to, just to think about your own circumstances. And I want you to consider for a minute, what are the things that are happening to you? What are the issues that you're facing, the challenges that you're going through? They, they, they may be some of the things that are common to all of us based upon the current cultural climate that we find ourselves in. You might be facing some sort of medical issue. You might be facing some interpersonal relational issues or something financial, whatever it is. What, what are the chains and tribulations that you're dealing with? What's the snake that's hanging from your arm or what's the Euroclidon that you're facing? Okay, I want you to consider those things. Now, I'm not asking you to consider those things so we can compare them against Paul's big challenges and make you feel really small for what you're going through. 
That's not my point. Okay, the challenges that we're facing, some of us are facing some very difficult circumstances. All of us are facing difficulties. What I want you to reflect on those four is so that we can look at the next line in the verse. Paul says this, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Let Let me read that again. I want you to know that the things that have happened to me, this whole list that we just walked through, Paul says, these things are actually working to further the gospel. Now, the word further is a word that has sort of a general meaning, and its general meaning would be just to move something forward. Paul's saying the gospel message, and with it then the kingdom of God, is making forward progress because of the things I'm going through. So the gospel was here, and now the gospel's here, and what moved it from here to here are the circumstances that I went through. Now, it is the desire of God for the gospel and with it the kingdom of God to move forward. That's God's desire. His method is is very interesting. Jesus selected a handful of common people, not unlike ourselves. Some of them were not extremely educated. Many of them were not world travelers. Um, They did not have many resources. They didn't have a lot of experience. And yet when Jesus talked to them, he revealed to them that he had great expectations of them. He said to them, I want you to preach the gospel to every creature in the whole world. That's a pretty big expectation, isn't it? And he went on to say this, and I want you to make disciples of every nation. The word nation is the Greek word ethnos. We get our word ethnicity from. Every people group in the whole world. I want want Christ followers in that. In another passage, he said this, the gospel of this kingdom must be preached in the whole world as a testimony, then the end comes. (laughs) He has big expectations. He says, I want, I want the kingdom to further. How far? Whole globe, every people group. That's the desire of God. And so here Paul says, listen, what's going on in my life is actually helping the gospel, the kingdom of God, what God wants to do in the world, move forward. This word further, it, it carries some more specific meaning. It's a word that could be used to refer to doors that had previously been closed that are now open, okay? Closed and open doors is, is, is a, an idiom used in the Bible to speak about how God makes, turns opportunities for the gospel to be furthered. And Paul's saying doors that had been previously closed, areas that the gospel was not yet reaching, My circumstances, the things that I went through, opened those doors and brought the gospel where it hadn't been before. The word can also be used to speak about um, impediments or obstacles that are standing in the way that get removed. It's, It's a word that would be used to describe if you were building a road, the Romans were very efficient road builders, and if you're building a road and there's an obstacle in the way, you wanna get a road that goes from here to here, and there's an obstacle in the way, and that obstacle is moved so the road can be built. If you've ever driven in mountainous roads where you go through a tunnel, 
A tunnel is speaking to you that somebody wanted to build a road from here to here, and there was something in the way. What was that something? It's called a mountain, right? I've, I've driven on mountain roads where you, can, you drive in a tunnel for a mile. A mile. We got to go from here to here. There's this gigantic mountain in the way. We'll just bore a hole through it wide enough for four lanes of traffic that go on for a mile. That's an obstacle that's moved. Here's what Paul's saying. My circumstances, the things that I'm going through, they furthered the kingdom by opening doors that had been closed and by moving obstacles that stood in the way of the gospel's forward progress that had not been moved prior to that. What are some of those things? Back when Paul was in Caesarea, remember we mentioned he was there for two years, forgotten in jail? Those two years in Caesarea are probably the time when one of his teammates, one of his traveling companions, a guy by the name of Luke, was able to travel through Israel and research the the life and ministry of Jesus and write the Gospel of Luke. Luke was not one of the original followers of Jesus. He didn't hear Jesus speak. He didn't see Jesus do miracles. He shows up during Paul's second missionary journey, likely got saved through Paul's ministry, and he's writing the Gospel of Luke as an official document written to a Roman dignitary explaining the person and life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And that document was likely researched and written while Paul was stuck in a prison in Caesarea. Had he not been locked up, we might not have Luke. In addition to that, they get in a boat and they crash land on the island of Malta. When Paul's in Malta, he gets bit by the snake. The crowd thinks he's a criminal. When he shakes off the snake and lives, they think he's a god. He takes the opportunity to preach the gospel. In addition to that, the governor of that island is, uh, ended up ill. Paul went to him, ministered to him, developed a relationship with him, led him to the Lord. The Bible stops the story there. But history tells us that this man became the pastor of the church in Malta. And not only did the gospel come to Malta, but the kingdom affected Malta. And for the next several hundred years, well into the fourth century, there was a vibrant church in Malta. In fact, I haven't been there, but I'm told you can visit the remains of the ancient Christian community on the island of Malta because they crash landed there. When they land finally in Rome and Paul gets forgotten under house arrest, that provided him the opportunity to write Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Is the gospel moving forward? Absolutely. Here in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says in, in verse 13, he says, It has become evident to the whole palace guard and the rest that my chains are in Christ. The palace guard is hearing the gospel. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes to them and he says, Hey, all the saints here in Rome greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. How in the world do you get the gospel to the royal guard and the royal family? Like doors are opening that weren't open before. An incredible work is happening. What things were happening to Paul were actually furthering the kingdom. 
Now, let's pause again. Let's reconsider the things that are happening to us, the challenges that we're facing. Some of them are overwhelming. But let's ask ourselves, are the things that are happening to us just happening to us? Or are the things that are happening to us actually moving forward the gospel in the kingdom? Are, the thing, are these just things happening to us or are they furthering his kingdom? And is there a way to live our life so that the things that are happening to us can actually further the kingdom? Let me say that one more time. Is there a way to live our life so that the things that are happening to us become the things that further the kingdom? I think there is. And I think there's, there's three biblical truths or, or theological principles that are in this passage that can help us go from, hey, this stuff's just happening to us, to, you know what? This stuff is actually being effective for the work that God wants to do in the world. Let's take a look at those things. Thing number one, look at verse 12 again with me, if you would. I want you to know, brethren, that the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the kingdom so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are where? Two people saw it. I'll give you a hint. Last two words of verse 13. My chains are where? In Christ. Christ. Now, Paul was no fool. Paul knew that the chains that were hanging from him were Roman chains. He knew that it was the Roman government that had him incarcerated. He knew that it was the power of Rome that held him there. He he knew that somebody making him a cake with a file on it and getting the chain off and sneaking out the window wasn't going to solve the problem. But he knew something more than that. He knew that although these chains were Roman chains, his life was really in the hands of God. He knew that. Jump over to verse uh, 20. Actually, verse 19, he says, I know that this is going to turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ. And then in verse 20, he says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I'll be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's saying, I know that God's in control of my circumstances, and so I want to magnify God with all of my circumstances with my life. I want God to be honored. I think that one of the keys for us to have the things that are happening to us actually further the kingdom is for us to have the right perspective. I don't think that that it would be fair. I don't think it would be just I don't think it would be biblically sound for us to say that God was the cause of the things that were happening to Paul. I don't think God's the cause of it. How do I know that? Well, this all started when Paul went on to the Temple Mount and somebody gave a false accusation that Paul brought a Gentile into the courts. What kind of accusation? A false one. What's another word for a false accusation? It starts with an L and ends with an I. Lie. Okay, that's not actually how you spell it. I know that, so English teachers, back off. So, but right, the, it, that's a lie. Now, is God sort of, you know, from what you know about your Bible, maybe you're just brand new to the whole Christian thing, but from what you know about your Bible, is God for lying or is he against it? 
Like, is he kind of promote, like, does God say, hey, listen, if you want to get ahead in, in life, just lie, right? It's a great way to manipulate people and get your way. Is that, would that be kind of godly counsel? No. In fact, in fact, lying is something that God is so opposed to that God put together a list, a short list, just 10, of things that he's like super against, right? And he, and he, he etched it in stone with his own handwriting and lying made the list. So these guys are violating the righteous standard that God has placed upon humanity in order to govern us. God says, this is how I want you to live. And they're violating that in in order to attempt to stop Paul from preaching the gospel. Then that lie turns into a group of people jumping Paul and beating him up. Is that, a, is that a godly character trait? Is there a beatitude that says something like, blessed are those who jump weak people and beat them up? Can you find that in your Bible? No, this is a violation of the standard of God. It, and this continues. I'd go so far as to say that even the storm and the snake, that's not a God-caused thing. It's a byproduct of sin entering the world. The Bible tells us when sin entered the world, not only was the human race affected, and every bit of empirical data supports the Bible's claims that sin has entered the world and affected all of humanity, all over the world. Even at the smallest level, into the families all over the world, sin has wreaked havoc on humanity. The Bible says sin has also wreaked havoc on the universe that we live in. The Bible tells us that creation itself groans, it longs for the time when Jesus will come back and set up his kingdom. And so even the storm and the snake are not God-caused problems. But listen, Paul knew God was in charge. He knew God was in control. And so that can change our perspective. If our perspective is, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? God, I thought you loved me, and yet here I am floating around in a stormy ocean, swimming over a sharp reef. Lord, how in the world did you let this happen? If, that, if we can change from that perspective to instead of why God, to what God? What is it that you want to do in the midst of these circumstances? I believe that's life-changing. I think if we can look at our circumstances and instead of wrestling through, why do you allow this to happen to me? We start wrestling through, okay, God, what do you want to do in the midst of it? Personally, there are lots of things in our current cultural climate that I am really not happy about. But for me to just complain about them and wonder why you're allowing this to happen, God, is not going to make me very effective for the furtherance of God's kingdom. But if I can look and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want to use me in the midst of this? I can go from these are just happening to me to your kingdoms being furthered. The second thing, let's take a look. We stopped at verse uh, 13. Let's look at verse 14. He says, most of the brethren in the Lord, having become more confident by my chains, are more bold to speak the word without fear. He mentions this boldness again in his own life over in verse 20. So here's the second thing that happened. Not only are these guys' perspective changing, they're realizing that they want to glorify God with, or Paul realizing he wants to glorify God with his life. 
he's saying that in addition to that, people are being coming more confident through these things. If we want the things that happen to us to further the kingdom, there needs to be a boldness increase in our life. Now, boldness is an interesting word. I'm going to share two other words with you, and they're going to form in you a a certain word picture, right? The first one is the word courage. Courage. And that that paints a picture for us. Our, our, Our brains envision something when we see the word courage. Here's another word. It's, it's in the same word bank, but it's a little different. It's the word daring. Daring. That's a different visual, isn't it? See somebody courageous, you see somebody daring. Anybody here old enough to remember Evil Knievel? Remember him? Okay, now wait, wait, wait. Anybody have the action figure? <laughs> I'm the only one? Okay. Dude, the Evil Knievel action figure was awesome. Had a motorcycle and this pull cord. And he let go of this guy, and he would crash just as badly as the real guy, okay? In fact, my evil Knievel action figure didn't make it. <laughs> like, we had to, had to say, time of death, and he was out, okay? But, but evil Knievel was this lunatic who would get on his motorcycle and try to jump over. It's crazy. He was just daring. Now, he did it for exposure and the limelight and a few bucks, This word boldness speaks of somebody who's willing to be a bit risky, a bit daring and courageous for the furtherance of God's kingdom. Now, when I see stuff like this, and I see, okay, people had boldness develop in them, and I look at myself and I think, I'm not sure boldness is a natural trait in me. I think think that I'm not someone by nature who is super bold. So I think, where does this boldness come from? Do you know the Bible actually gives us, tells us where we can find boldness? In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul describes the need to put on the armor of God. Remember that passage? And then he tells us what to do once we're dressed in the armor. He says, pray. So you get dressed in the armor, not to parade, but to pray. And then he does something that was a little bit uncommon for Paul. He asked the Ephesians to pray for him. It's very common for Paul to pray for the church. It's not nearly as common for Paul to ask the church to pray for him. In Ephesians 6, he asked them to pray for him, and this is the one thing he asked for prayer for. He says, pray that I would have boldness. Pray that God would give me courage and daring to share the message that I'm supposed to share. In another passage, in in writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul explained to Timothy that boldness is something that's given to us as we serve the Lord faithfully at our local church, we learn to find that God is trustworthy and then we go outside the church and we have more courage and daring. That's illustrated in the life of David. Remember when David comes into Saul's tent and he says, I wanna go fight that giant. And Saul goes, you can't fight that giant. And David says, yes, I can. Because there was this bear and there was this lion. He had, he had seen God give him what he needed to defeat the bear and defeat the lion. And he said, the same God that gave me what I need to defeat those things is the same God that'll give me what I need to defeat that guy. And he went out to fight against him. His boldness came from serving the Lord and what was in front of him. There's a passage when David says to Solomon, he says, Solomon, you, you're stepping into this role now 
And what you need to know, you, you need to take courage because God is going to be with you until you complete the task. We can have boldness because we know God's present with us. There's another great passage where, where the Assyrian army comes down and defeats all of Judah's neighbors, including Israel. And then the Assyrian army circles Jerusalem. And the king of Judah gathers to the people all together in the open courtyard there in the city. And he says to them, listen, you can take courage. You don't need to be afraid because there are more on our side than there are with the Assyrians. Now, I can imagine being a soldier, kind of walking over, looking up over the fence at the Assyrian army, looking back at our army, looking at the Assyrian army, looking at our army and thinking, our king can't count. There's way more of those guys. But then he said this, because with them is the arm of the flesh and with us is the spirit of God. In other words, we can have confidence because when God asks us to do something, the resources of heaven are given to us to accomplish that. So listen, how can we go from all this stuff's happening to me to this is actually furthering the kingdom? We glorify God in everything by having a perspective. What do you want us to do? We have boldness that comes from seeking the Lord and stepping out and serving the Lord. And the last thing, verse 15, Paul says this. I'm gonna ask the worship team to make their way back up. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice and will rejoice. Paul says, how is it that these things are furthering the kingdom? Christ is being preached. The message of the gospel is being furthered. The, the, the idea here is these guys are staying on on focus. They're not getting caught up in sharing all the woes and difficulties. Instead, they're preaching the message of the gospel. And Paul makes a statement, and and I'm going to leave it for you guys to, to look in on your own, but he makes a statement and he says, there are even people that are preaching the gospel for all the wrong reasons, but I don't care as long as the gospel is being preached. Okay. That's an unbelievable statement. Now, I understand that these guys are, are preaching the gospel for some pretty weird reasons, but I also understand that I'm not sure that every time I preach the gospel, I'm doing it for the most altruistic reasons. I'm thinking sometimes it's out of obligation. Sometimes I'm sitting down somewhere and somebody strikes up a conversation and I think, I don't want to have this conversation. And I think, but if I don't have this conversation, I'm going to be in trouble in heaven. So I will have this conversation. Right? So, <laughs> but the idea is like, The gospel's being preached. The message of the kingdom is going forward. So let's wrap this up. If we want to go from whatever your circumstances are, I'm not belittling them. I'm not trying to make you feel bad because Paul suffered so much. We're all going through difficulty. But if we want to see what we're going through, actually open doors that weren't open before, remove obstacles that had stood in the way of the gospel and have the kingdom move forward. I think we need to have the right perspective. I think we need to have an increased confidence that God can use us. And I think we need to stay on target sharing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the lives of each person that's here. And Lord, I want to pray in particular for those that are facing challenges that are so much bigger than themselves. And Lord, they just, they feel weary. They, they feel like they're not sure if they can keep going. Lord, would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them? Would you bless them, meet them there? And then also, Lord, would you open a way to cause them to see that those things are actually furthering the kingdom? So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.